This is Rocky Snyder. At the tone, leave your name and message, and I'll get back to you. Practically everybody in the state of Northern California is around this particular mountain waiting to see one Lane Meyer tackle this totally untamed slope, dead or alive. So get the lead out. <laughs> Welcome to this episode of the Rockfit Files. I'm Rocky Snyder, and with me is Australian ski professional Tom Gelly. Now, not only is he a ski professional, but he's, of course, been through the anatomy and motion coursework, just like myself, only down under, which I don't think that takes anything away from it. It probably enhances it, but we're going to find out. Tom, welcome to the Rockfit Files. Thanks, Rocky. Good to be here. <laughs> oh, it's good to have you. And now, for those in the Northern Hemisphere, we sometimes forget that our seasons are inverted to the Southern Hemisphere. So, for instance, right now, as we're recording this, we're, we're getting into mid-November, and therefore, we're entering your summer as we enter our winter. So, your ski season has kind of come to an end in Australia, has it not? It has, yeah. We don't have a very long ski season, but yeah, it's uh, typically beginning of October. It's, it's pretty much the snow is melting. I mean, yesterday was 31 degrees Celsius, beautiful day. The, the weekend, my wife and I spent the day with our little three-year-old at the beach and the water's getting really nice and warm now. So yeah, it's, I'm looking forward to a, to a nice summer. That's for sure. Oh, that's great. Now, when I, I think about skiing, Australia, unfortunately, never comes to mind. I, I don't know why that is. Maybe I, I just go to Europe. I sometimes think of Japan. Of course, I live uh, right near the California Sierras. So I've got Lake Tahoe within driving distance. And, and my home mountain is typically Squaw Valley, USA. Although I understand they're changing their name because these days that's not necessarily politically correct. So we'll have to find out. It's the, the ski resort that we love to go to in Northern Lake Tahoe. But for you guys, you've got a, a few, you've got Perisher, You've got, you've got Mount Hotham. Is that, do I Hotham, pronounce that yeah. right? And then but you, but where do you primarily work out of? Uh, I used to primarily work out of Threadbow, which is right next door to Parisher, which is, is the biggest one. All right. Um, and, but you're not yeah. really affiliated with any resort at this time. Not anymore. No, no. I, I would say I'm now like an contracting kind of role like it's funny I, I this COVID period has either been really challenging to people or it's sort of given them a kick in the bum to do something you know that they've always wanted to do I started a website uh, called bigpictureskiing.com and so now I coach people all around the world through videos on there about my perspective on on skiing and that also includes this sort of blending of, you know, traditional ski technique understanding and then knowing about the body, um, which is, you know, I, we could talk about that at some point, how yeah. that all began. Well, um, I'd love to. Let's, yes. let's start there. Yeah. I would love to know how a ski instructor got involved with anatomy and motion. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, for some reason, I have always had a deep kind of yearning to be in the mountains and ski. And like you said, funny Australian, you know, we don't, it's not really around us. We're, we're beaches and it's hot and all that sort of thing. So anyway, that was, that was me. So after I finished university studying something I didn't really want to use, it was more what my dad did. I think a lot of people can uh, relate to that. You don't know what you do. Uh, finished that, got it out of the way, parents happy. I, I went to Canada and uh, did a season there and and was like this is this is what i want to do so i became a ski instructor and from that point in 2005 end of 2005 i started doing uh seasons back to back going southern hemisphere northern hemisphere southern hemisphere northern hemisphere and doing doing my levels in in ski instructing and um yeah just just loved it and then uh fast forward like uh to 2010 and i met my now wife who did did the seasons things with me for a little while but i soon realized i can't keep doing this This is not really sustainable if i want to have a family and um a, a life you know a proper life together so what am i going to do I, I, I had no idea i really i was like thinking about becoming a carpenter because i didn't really want to go and do something sitting down i wanted to use my hands and i wanted to do something creative and then um, this uh, old housemate, she had just finished studying structural integration, or some people might know it as rolfing. And um, and she, and she said, "Oh, you should, should you know, check this out." And I, and I said, "You know what? I, I like a good massage, so sure." And I went and did a structural integration session with her, and it was amazing because afterwards I walked out feeling different, and that was what caught me i was like our body can change from its position like habits or, or holding itself in a certain way and then you can walk out and without consciously changing anything your body takes on a new form and way of moving and and i got to go ski that that day or the following morning and my skiing felt better it felt mm -hmm. more fluid i it felt more symmetrical because because at that point I was um, aiming, I'd been on the Australian demo team, which is uh, like the top sort of instructors in, in your country get go through a selection process to become the, 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 the team that basically drives the technique of that association. So I'd been on that team once and I was trying to get on it again. Um, and so I was really focused on how my skiing felt, looked symmetrically, uh, how well I could change gears and ski at a very basic level and then as fast and as exciting as possible. So I was like, wow, if I can go through this process of, you know, changing my body to make it more efficient and work better, I can ski better. And I went, I'm going to be the guy who is the body guy who knows about the body and how to change it to become a better skier. Cause I'd, I'd had so many lessons with people where I'm like, you, you know, you need to be able to, you know, turn in your hip sockets better. You need to be able to feel this movement in your foot and people just couldn't do it. Uh -huh. And this in my head, I'm like, wow, I could just like take this person, you know, off the slopes, get their body moving better and say, this is what it's like. 
when you want to edge or, or, or change into a new turn or ski over a bump and, and then like almost like inject that ability back into their system and then then go and teach them. It was like I just I'd felt there was something missing because I'd felt it myself because, you know, coaches had told me, hey, Tom, you need to change your, your left foot turn. You're, 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 you're not standing in the same place on your right. And, I'm, and in my head, I'm doing exactly the same thing. I didn't think I had anything wrong because we feel that perception of where your alignment is. And then I'm doing drills, wouldn't change, but, but, but structural integration gave me this like light bulb and this insight into it, it's possible to change. And forever and a day, that drives my passion for all the clients that come in here, all the people that I teach is that you can change. The body is, is totally able to do that. It's just about finding that, that little entrance, that key that unlocks the way into being able to do that. How so, was um, that received within the ski community? Because uh, traditionally, you're going to go see a ski coach who's going to just be working on technique. Like you say, we've got to find your body here. You got to get your knees at this position. You got to get your head over here. But you're doing something that is seemingly quite different than everybody else, which is you're taking the the just overall biomechanics of the human frame and then applying the, them onto the ski slope once you've gotten them into a, a more structurally integrated balanced place. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it was, it was received really well, I think, because, I mean, the ski, my take on skiing and, and technique was there's a bit of a lack of understanding of biomechanics and the body. And I think I was thirsty for for that kind of information um and and so it was received really well but but not only just knowing like being able to explain your ankle does this and that like that that's one part but then being able to like give people the feeling of what that is like like what really good pronation of your foot feels like what 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 a supinated foot does with pressure coming through the ski like the difference in rigidity and stiffness to to you know get rebound out of a turn um the the awareness of where your arms are and your head is and your spine is as you ski through you know undulating rough rough terrain those those things i think were kind of lacking and basically people just get there eventually because they do you just slowly figure it out Right. You know, you thousand or you're gifted, you know, you're like, right. like, you know, you're, you're a good surfer. I'd say it wouldn't take, and you probably ski a bit and you probably don't find it too hard, but other people who are not there, they don't have things to draw upon. Like you have surfing all your life to draw upon feelings of like leaning into a turn of feeling pressure under your feet of where your how your hands direct and help that board turn further and, like you can you can make parallels between Quite, these sports yeah. yeah yeah and so um i was trying to figure out how to help the people that didn't have that yeah so. that, and there's there's some irony here that we haven't spoken of because gary ward who developed the anatomy and motion coursework which will delve into also started by learning how to create orthotics and ski boots in the alps and then just took that information and went into the fitness world, rehabilitation world, all of that. But 
but I haven't heard anybody kind of take it back up onto the ski slopes itself until our paths have crossed. So it's, it's, I, I love that kind of that journey and the fact that an idea kind of originated on the mountain. It took its journey all over the course of the world, but now it finds itself back up on the mountain. So you did Ida P. Rolf's work, structural integration. Yep. You, you followed that and I'm sure got licensed certified as a Rolfer and started working with that. So, and that just opened up your, your, your doors of perception, let's say your, your, uh, yeah. your ideas. So where did aim come into play? Come in. Well, I mean, I think like, like structural integration, uh, you know, a lot about what you learn is kind of looking at posture standing pretty still. There's no motion and movement or not much. I think Ida Rolf had a very good feel for that, but she only really taught it in this kind of uh, therapy sort of sense in, in a room. So I was trying to figure out how you take all that into something like skiing and, and movement. So I knew there was missing information there. And for whatever reason, I, I think you can probably testify to this. When you, when you really want to know something, the people that can help you find out those things just somehow appear through, you know, you yes. put the thought out there and those things, those things come to you. So it's a pretty interesting story. I think it was on a podcast listening to um, David Weinstock, NKT, uh, sort of the guy, NKT, developed NKT. He talked about at the end, someone said, oh, what are you playing with? He said, oh, I'm playing with this thing, anatomy in motion, because it's really interesting, you know, like foot pronation. And my ears went ding, because I knew in skiing, you, you needed to pronate. And everyone is all about, you know, outside of that, don't like a pronated foot is a bad thing. When I heard him saying that someone's talking about it as a good thing, I went, I need to find out about this guy. So then I, you know, scoured the internet and found uh, videos about him. And one of the first things I found was, I don't know if you've seen this, but he has this video that he created in 2009 where he works with a rock climber and a guy who does seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. Have you seen that video? Yes. Yeah. So I, I found that video and I was like, wow, this guy, this is the guy that's going to help me figure out how I can help sort of have it, have a similar idea with skiing. So I found every single piece of information I could about Gary Ward on Facebook, on Vimeo, on YouTube, on podcasts. And I like just devoured it and shredded it apart. I think I watched that video. I don't know, 400 times trying to, trying to figure out like, he's like doing some of the aim exercises. And so I already started trying to, play with them because then i ordered what the foot he talks about the exercise in the book and um and at this stage he hadn't arranged a course in australia so uh -huh. i was like ah do i go like you know i'm not going to spend some money i've already you know like i can't fit in with my skiing instructing schedule anyway so i found every piece of info and he, he, he if he's listening he, he used to put on like when he ran some courses he would put on recordings like hour and a half recordings of say a discussion about propulsion and 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 i think you paid 20 bucks and maybe the people that did the course they had a code that made it free or something but i was like bam paid it and then 
studied this this video about propulsion and then uh you know a month later another one come out shift phase bam buy it so i'm, I'm absorbing all this info and and so funny at the same time rob sawyer yeah who is the you know another another aussie guy who's now doing a lot of the drawings the and artwork yes. yeah the aim artist incredible yeah. artist he and i connected uh at an nkt course in melbourne and and he saw me mucking around doing what was like some kind of shit, uh, sorry, transition. He's like, you, you, you're into aim. And I was like, yeah, he's like, me too. He's like, so, so, and he's like, what do you know about like this phase and that phase? It's like, well, I think that the big toe should be doing this. And I think you got to rotate that way, but I'm not really sure. And he's like, yeah, I'm not really sure about that too. And so anyway, we, we then started trading like over, over like uh, FaceTime, like we'd, we'd talk to each other and muck around trying to do these, these things and share insight we had on, on things. And, oh, did you see this post with Gary, you know, talking about fixing someone who'd, you know, broken their fibula bone? And he's like, yeah, 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 I did. And so we would, we would work together and start figuring it out. Anyway, so the course finally comes to Australia Rob and I sign up, <laughs> we get to the course and basically he and I have like, I don't know, 75% of the flow motion model figured out before he'd even <laughs> presented it. And, and so like he's presenting this thing and, and like most of the other people in the room, this is the first time they've come across it. And I know, I know in the other podcasts you hear of people like, it's like a total game changer. Well, Rob and I have spent like, I don't know, nine, 12 more months like totally in it with no support just trying to figure it out so we're like get past that boring stuff like we want to know like like <laughs> what is it what is the cue boy doing in three planes what is the this the the collarbone and and so we're instead of that course being just trying to get the fundamentals of okay like the the calcaneus and the pelvis and the head all go in anterior tilt in suspension we're like past that looking at all, all like the, all these other things so it was like the best course honestly i'd ever taken because i think it was like being given being given the map like rob and i are there running around like trying to figure things out and, and that was like i think an amazing awesome experience and such a good way to learn but then we were given the map and then all this other stuff and and you know gary being uh, a skier and and starting with ski boots he and i like really got along well and um and and i was like this this is it and i told him i wanted to figure out like the ski motion model basically uh how you would like map every joint for different phases of a ski turn and um and, and write that down and I'm still sort of working on that and have a pretty good idea in my head but it's it's definitely a, a bit different at first I was taking more of like trying to fit like a square peg in a round hole type thing but that but they're different they're, they're, they're skiing and 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 gait are different and um and it was really good trying to you know see what what is similar like, cause there's, definitely a shift phase where you, where you're changing like your weight from one foot more predominantly to the other. There's a pronation phase there's a supination phase. Um, but, um, yeah, that's been awesome 
now trying to plot how, yeah, all the joints work to make a ski work, to make you go down the hill in control. Well, I'm curious, Tom, because I hear what you're saying that it's really good to understand the joint mechanics of, of any sport competition movement. Uh, yet the the fundamental bedrock is how do they go from point A to point B in regards to their gait cycle. So do you find that you need to veer away from the phases of gait in that fashion so that you're more ski specific? You know, if you find restrictions in some ski related motion, do they have a tendency to clean up between the aim work and the structural integration? Or are there episodes with a client where you're going, okay, well, I actually have to get them much more in a specific position related to skiing? Yes, I think there is some crossover. And and at first I thought that if I fix, say their, their suspension phase, like a particular phase in their gait on their right foot, that would help. They would just take that into their skiing and straight away it would work better yeah so that would sort of happen sometimes with people that were pretty good athletes but other people know and it's because there is uh like one big thing big difference about skiing is that is this is this lateral motion like walking is very forward like you know like to to make it simplified like we're kind of falling forward a little bit catching ourselves and redirecting mass and that sort of stuff forward skiing you don't actually really like you're moving forward but it's because you're sliding but you are moving a lot laterally like way over and that in human life there is not much else you can relate to that you move that far over like maybe speed ice skating and you think how many people do that like they lean really far over like even in surfing like you never you, you never have your board over like at 70 degrees edge angle and so that's the biggest thing i guess i'm working on trying to explain and help people experience um, which would be akin to like a child when they learn to walk the, the, the biggest thing they do is they let go of like what they're holding on to and learn to fall forward and, and trust that they're going to catch themselves. So in skiing, you got to learn to, to fall laterally and centripetal force, centrifugal force through the skis turning that holds you up and it's learning to trust all that and then put all your joints in a way that you're, you know, you're, you're toppling in a controlled way, not too fast, but sort of slow and with certain parts and then getting the ski to, to literally like catch you, a split second later in the turn and keep keep you from putting your bum on the ground and sliding out uncontrollably. Yeah, it's interesting because I've often thought of frontal plane lateral motion in regards to one, there are fish muscles, you know, histor- prehistorically, we at one point in time would slither through the water before we had limbs and those muscles are still existing, except now that we do have limbs and move, they take on a different path, like a very restricted shifting of weight from one leg to the other as we try and go a straight line. And when we talk about uh, how we manage the mass of our body, the sagittal plane and transverse plane can both send force forward and backward, 
but the frontal plane is like it's like the bastard stepson. It's like it's it's out of the loop there. And it's no wonder in my mind that people struggle so much with the frontal plane because one, we don't move as much in that fashion. And it's not a way that we manage our mass forward and backward like we can overwhelm the sagittal plane with transverse or vice versa. So that's kind of left off. I mean, do you find that people struggle the most with frontal plane on average than they do with the other three, the other two? Uh, I would say as a gross overstatement, yes, yeah. because of what, because of what you, what you said. Um, and even Ida Rolf talked about it. Like, like there's this, this third session in the structural integration series where you work, you basically work the sides of the body. And she sort of makes this statement that we really have very little awareness of the sides of our body. Like we present ourselves like, you know, on the front of our body like the back of the body people see and stuff where it's at another place. It's not awareness, but the size of the body is like really very little awareness there. Um, and it's funny now, like thinking about it, like all the sports and things I love doing a frontal plane. I love, I, I love like, uh, no more like more like, unless like, like, like riding a bike, riding a skateboard, riding like skis kiteboarding right there all even rock climbing rock climbing you know sideways and up and uh, and i'm uh, like less inclined to do things like running and that sort of thing like i like it when the body has to go sideways i find that really fun there's a lot of like freedom in letting gravity pull you down and then but but then coming out of that that position like like in your surfing this morning like did you have any good cutbacks yes yeah and is that like the best feeling uh, it's the best <laughs> it is yeah. just making the bottom turn or cutting back feeling that centrifugal force and that whip around and that that moment yeah. of weightlessness you know that's kind of like if you could pick out okay i'll i'll tell you mine if you tell me yours do you have a favorite yeah. phase in the gate cycle like if you were to, the, when you were studying it, when you're exploring it, was that one that just blew your mind more than any else or, or you adhere to, like which one do you have an affinity toward? Shift phase. Shift, that makes complete <laughs> sense. That yeah. is so cool. For me, it's transition. It's like all hell breaks loose, but for that one moment, everything comes back together before the big bang occurs again. It's like that, just that moment. But I can feel that shift is that weightless sensation, like that carrying yeah. over just the moment before again, like you just have to come to grips with reality and gravity and everything else. Yeah, That's cool. yeah, yeah, exactly. And, it, but, but I've been, I think like that the, the transition shift together, it's that it's like spinning and, and falling, like, like we all really love that, you know, we love going down like slippery slides, you know, bungee jumping, skydiving, jumping into a pool, like that feeling where gravity, you just let it take you. It's just to what level you really want to play with that kind of like sort of risk is, 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 is what we, what we love. So yeah, I, I love gravity. I love playing with gravity and thinking about that as a force that is always like, fueling my system like how can i tap in into it and let it like act on me for a bit longer because i know then i then i'll have more 
force to work with to either get a result, you know, upwards jumping, sideways, whatever, whatever it is. So, um, yeah. I'm curious, what, what aspects did you struggle with the most once you got into the workshop? I mean, you, you were struggling and piecing it together on your own with the help of Rob Sawyer, but uh, once you got there and got through it and were there things that, that created a struggle for you, whether it's in your own body or just the concepts themselves or the application of the work? Do you know what I reckon it is now? Um, and it'll lead into a good topic like my, what I'm so fascinated with now is it's how to get other people to feel it because I got it. I feel it. And I think it's because I'm a very like active movement type of guy. Like I love sports. Like my dad was is, is still super fit. Like we would go bushwalking so much in, in our lives. Like I grew up on a, on a bush block with like all this wilderness behind me. My brother and I would go out, climb trees, build stuff like for hours. My mom and dad wouldn't know where we were. So I think being in my body is, is quite natural. But then I struggled with like, why are other people not like that? So it's communicating a feeling and, and, and a sense of, how good movement feels to others. That was, that was the thing. And so like for a long time, I've been trying to figure that out. And, that, and, then, and then that's why I fall back on using like the structural integration because I can physically put it in there, but, but then communicating it now, say through my, my website, skiing website, I can't touch people and be there in person. And, and even like, uh, like helping them with their, their body and postural movements, I have to communicate it with words. And so just recently it's brought me to uh, metaphors. And so, okay. And so, so, so think about this, you come across anatomy in motion and one of the main like concepts in it is, is this idea of cogs, right? And cogs are a great metaphor because they're saying the body is like cogs or these joints are like cogs. And, and, and we learn, like I've sort of found this out through a bit of research, like we have to have something that we can relate to that we already know in order to make the jump easy in learning something new. If it's completely foreign, if you can't find, if someone has no, if someone doesn't have an affinity with cogs, even cogs are meaningless. Whereas for you and I, it could be like, bam, I get it. Like these teeth meshing and, and it being in synchronization and, and it not being synchronization, there being problems. So learning that metaphors is how the human brain basically processes things. Like it's, 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 it's the way we think. It's not even language. It's, it's actually a thought process um, has really brought me to now focusing on like all my efforts on being a master of metaphors and master of creating that kind of imagery. So anyone that comes across whatever their background, I can wiggle my way into what imagery, what things they can relate in their life to in what I'm trying to explain. Um, and it's, it's fascinating, like listening to this uh, professor from Stanford the other day talk about um, 
analogies and metaphors being his title of the, the talk was um, analogies as the core of cognition. Hmm. And his whole speech, he basically talks to the fact that nearly everything is we learn through metaphors. And my son is three years old, like now realizing everything he's asking me, he's trying to compare to what he knows. He's like, like for instance, dinosaurs. He, like there's no dinosaurs today, but he loves, like kids love dinosaurs. So he's always asking, dad, is T-Rex as big as, as that house? Is what about, what about Brontosaurus? Is it bigger? And, and then he's like, and who's scarier? Is T-Rex scarier or is Allosaurus scarier, right? He's trying to categorize everything and figure it out. What's like what and what's not like it, but you know, the, the differences mm -hmm. here. Yeah. And so like, if you, if uh, I, this is a really cool thing to do and, and listeners can try this too, really be aware of your next conversation, particularly if it's with someone younger and notice how much they will communicate with you using metaphors and analogies in there. And their questions are around that because they're trying to get information off you about how, how everything fits together in this world. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was having fun listening to your podcast, these other ones, and I'm counting because apparently we process, we think in about six metaphors a minute. Wow. And so I was testing, like, especially with Chris's episode, Chris Shritham's episode, there was one section where there's about 20 seconds of talking and he used maybe eight metaphors, <laughs> right? And so it's, it's, it's everywhere. So when you start paying attention to it, you start really noticing it and then like the what you really notice is that is the good metaphors the ones that are really rich and are not overused like um you know like someone says oh you hit the nail on the head with that one like that's you've heard that so many times so it doesn't really have that it doesn't you don't really think of the hitting the nail on the head and and, and what's going on you just know like straight to what it is whereas if it's a really creative one like you know you, you hit that nail through the boards into the other boards so well that everyone in the crowd looked at, looked at your incredible ability as a carpenter. Like, you know, that's so different to hitting the nail on the head. Um, right. So, yeah. So. so it's really a lot of what you're saying too is, is what I'm experiencing is the next level of coaching is actually the cueing, the verbal cueing, and how can you create a mental image? How can you create a connection with the brain and the the interception or the, the body's ability to know where it is and to just get them to a higher level of awareness through verbal cues? Exactly, exactly. Because uh, I'd sort of written down before we were to chat, like I was like, I want to make sure I, I mentioned this and and so say in assessment, you know, we're in anatomy motion, we're taught like the assessment of, you know, like moving the, the body, anterior tilt the pelvis, posterior tilt it, hike it, drop it, rotate it left, rotate it right. And so say like you would probably get this, you get people that come in and all those things, you could actually put a tick in. Yes, they can do all those things. But then next to it, you might say, but, but the anterior tilt is like their is like their hip joints are rusty, and their posterior tilt is like their hip joints are greased, and and then the hike 
and the drop, like like one side, like the right the right hike is shy, or it's confident. You know, like the, these words start coming out, and and when when you give your clients the permission to like talk in this way, you get so much more info instead so of trying to. Yeah, instead of saying, can you hike your hip? Can you can you drop it? No, no, no. This is what I mean by hike or drop. Just just like kind of let them describe what's going on um, in their own analogies and you'll get so much more rich information. Um, you know, like, 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 Oh, I flex my neck left and it's painful. And instead of just writing down, Oh, it's painful. You go like, like, like how and they're like, Oh, it's sharp. You go like sharp, like, like a, like a tack or, or sharp, like the end of a, like a, a pencil or sharp, like, you know, like, like a zap of electricity. And they're like, oh, you know, so you get more info from that instead of stopping at the sharpness and you keep going. And, and then that starts them processing and realizing instead of like, ow, it's painful. They start thinking, why is it painful? Is it, is it, is it painful because I'm compressing? Is it painful because I'm compressing onto a pointy bit? Or is it, is, am I compressing a structure that is being squashed like in between two hard bits or, or you know like there's so much more information that's what you need I think as, as a practitioner and, and the client needs to know to to move beyond it and I think that the the term interviewing the body is is really true to to that point is that between every question there exists is exists space for another question and there exists space between those two and if you can continually ask the body and the person questions and interview them in the fashion that you kind of just described, then like you say, you're gonna get so much more rich information. And it's interesting that as soon as we choose to skip over to this question, then over to the next, we're missing so much more information between those questions that it's, it's really something. I, I, I agree that when working with somebody by giving them the ability to use descriptive words to, I typically say, break out your Roger's thesaurus and really give me some adjectives as to what you're feeling or, or give me an image. Like just, what does that feel like? Do you feel when the pelvis tilts anteriorly and posteriorly that it's on, on, on a, a pivotal point and it's just teetering? Or do you feel like one is having to pull it in a direction and the other one falls aside. Like, can you, can you ask them these questions? What does that seem to be doing there? And how is it that you're doing it is another great question. Okay, you're going to the side with your pelvis. How, how do you feel that's going compared to when you go to the other side? Oh, well, I noticed that this hip is getting up higher, but it doesn't do the same on the other side. Or, oh, I, I feel like I'm running into kind of a cardboard wall here, but I could keep on going on the other side. It's like you ask those questions and before you know it, they start to feel so different just by having that awareness of, of how they move or where they struggle to move. It's, it's quite something. So you've been yeah. doing this for how long? So uh, like running a, 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 like a physical therapy kind of, or I, I call myself a body alignment therapist. Doing okay. that since, since 2013, so seven years. 
and then ski instructing since 2005. And, and I think they're very similar, you know, like I could make metaphors between the two, like, uh, um, so I feel like the ski instructing gave me a very good eye. Like I really, re I rely a lot on my eyes because I've really been drawn to studying movement and motion and, and in skiing, it's really quite complex and people have done it to such a high level like there's such precision in where your hands are, your, your body, your feet, your knees, um, you know, at these high speeds and changing terrain that, that you have to really train your eye in order to coach someone onto the next thing in their progression. So that, that eye has really helped my practice indoors because someone's now just standing there they're not moving that far. They're not moving that fast. So I, so, so, so I've helped hone it in but then that's also helped further because then I can see details that then when I go back out skiing I can see things that I don't think other people see because I can see the skeleton skiing now not this bright purple jacket and blue pants you know blurring I can uh, yeah I really try and see a skeleton skiing yeah now that's that's great because that leads me into another area I'm curious about and I've experienced to myself, like in the earlier days of learning movement, as well as structural integration, you were looking at a body with fairly new eyes, with, with unexperienced eyes for the most part. But over time, through 2013, up until now, there are subtle and maybe not so subtle landmarks that you hit where your eyes take on more information than previous. And for instance, not looking at the, the entire ski outfit and just now being able to penetrate as to what the skeletal frame is, layering back the soft tissue and seeing what the bones are doing, or looking at the body as a whole and understanding how the mass of different segments are starting to relate to one another based on how it's moving. So, have you noticed those landmarks and how long has it taken you to get to a point where you're going, ah, okay, I see what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a process of that getting better and better. Like uh, back to the metaphors thing, like, you know, how these, the models, like I've got a model foot here, a model skull, a model pelvis, a model over there, like shoulder girdle, wrist, hand, like posters of anatomy everywhere. They're all metaphors. They're not like that model foot is not my foot. Yet when I hold someone's foot and I've held and played with the model foot so much, I can go, oh, that's like my model foot in this way, but it doesn't move in a way that I know a model foot should or those joints, you know, the, the calcaneus talus area should move and so being surrounded by all these things and then constantly testing myself to to, to check it then going out on snow and, and other places i'm i can start to use those as, as 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 analogies this like how is that moving compared to like even over there a friend drew a picture of a skier like right over on their edges but it's a skeleton and so like, I've like almost like project that on top of someone skiing and, and, and pause them and go, 
that doesn't fit. Like, what are they doing? That, that, that inside knee is internally rotated, not externally rotated as it's, as it's, as it's flexing. I know that doesn't fit. And so like, yeah, just learning to, to, to hone in on those areas that don't fit this overall, like broad skiing skeleton and then go, and then that draws you in. And, and then, so then you investigate it further. And um, yeah, I think it just takes, takes time. And I think people just need to surround themselves with these, these other models that are like, they're not the same, but they are very like it and they're stripped back. So you don't have as much confusing information. Like it is confusing to look at a skier with their clothing on and then their layer of skin and their layer of muscles and their layer of bones and everything underneath but if you can just take it all away and compare it to only one system the skeletal system our brain can find it's much easier on on our brain so and so when you work with a client do you ever whether it's for your own amusement entertainment or to bring about awareness of what it is you're doing with them in in regards to the client do you ever go through assessments and then have a conversation with the skier saying, based on what I'm seeing, you're most likely having a hard time uh, making these turns or any element in skiing, how it relates to certain techniques going downhill based on what you see with their foot or their hip or their entire structure. Do you say, okay, so how long have you been struggling to do this on the mountain? Do you, do you ever do that? I'm just curious. Yeah, I do. And, and I think that's my way of trying to piece together. Because, but I don't assume, I don't try and be smart and go, oh, I bet you don't turn well to the left. Gotcha. Because I, I, I remember doing that a few times and they go, no, it's to the right. And so it's more, I try and be humble and go and gather information that I can then put in the back of my head and go, well, seven out of 10 people with the stuck pronated foot find you know the turn to the right really hard but the other three don't and so i'm always like like the probability wise you know maybe so i'll ask oh do, do you find it this way is easier or the other way easier and, and and why is that you know because it might be as you know like the reason it's pronated could be because you broke something the other reason could be because you're trying to get away from the other side and so then there are different reasons why one turn would be better sure. than the other so yeah so but i'm always interested in those things because i am trying to build a catalog and a memory database that then the people in the future i can then metaphorically compare like to like and and how what is there similarities here and um yeah, <laughs> I love it. So now that you're, you're married with a family and you're not going from one hemisphere to the other and you're in, entering the summer months, where is, does the summer take you and your work? Because the ski slopes have closed down for the season. What, are you yeah. just continually seeing people on the off, the off season or do you well, set your sights think, toward more water sports or something like that? Well, I think I should clarify, like the people that I see in this practice in here, I don't know, maybe 5% are skiers. Okay. I just see like, you know, two-year-olds to 85-year-olds, same as you, just like a real 
broad selection of the public. And then I sort of, I guess, have this, the other skiing side, like, uh, like I have Skype sessions with, or Zoom sessions with skiers mostly because like Sydney's not a massive ski hub. Like a lot of my skiing clients are from America and Canada and, and Europe. So that's all sort of done uh, on the internet. Um, so that's, that's that bit first. So I'm, I'm mostly seeing the general public here, which is a really good, nice mixture. Now, um, how long but, have you been doing the Zoom sessions with clients? Oh, uh, since like, I don't know, 2015. Like I got into it early. Yeah, just when I'm going to, people asked, I was like, sure, I'll try. And, um, and at first, a lot of them were did, did it help you with your own verbal cueing and coaching because you couldn't definitely. put your hands on them? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think that's why, you know, those, those challenges, you either embrace them or not. And I think you always learn a lot from taking on a, on a challenge. Um, so, yeah, I've been d doing that for a while and I really in, enjoy it. And, um, and now I think like Monica was saying, she really enjoys like the group sessions and I've been doing a lot of like sort of webinar based sort of uh, like lessons or, or sessions where there's a theme like, you know, so you, you've kind of got a, a bit of a topic that you center around that you can always veer away from, but at least there's a central theme that everyone knows that's what we're kind of revolving the, the, the movement or the discussion around. Um, so I'm really enjoying those. So actually there's the, the next webinar I've got in a couple of weeks is about metaphors. So I, I'm really looking forward to that one and just passing on all this stuff I've found out about it and that, that people should really start paying a lot more attention to the language they use, the language that other people use. Like when people fight, you know, like argue, it's because they, their metaphors don't match. They're like, that they can't see from the other person's perspective what they're kind of relating everything to. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, your question about the summertime, I would usually be going somewhere or a few places like Japan and Canada or America uh, in January and February and March. Um, if it wasn't a COVID year, like, like last year, I spent a week in Japan uh, doing some training for a really small ski school over there and then um, went to Aspen for two weeks with the family and did some training for the Aspen ski school that was that was awesome so did a couple of indoor lectures about the feed and and, and skiing and then did some on snow stuff and um, like I'm now doing some work with the Canadian Ski Instructors Alliance and their sort of system is is evolving and, and it's it's looking like in the future there could be some workshops I could do with with their system. And there's a company in London that make a digital insole called Carve. And basically the insole is like a pressure. So your your pressure sensor mat, it's like that, has uh, 24 sensors underneath it. And um, it also tells you like 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 roll, pitch, and your um speed uh all sorts of things and it's hooked up to an app on your phone and i'm working with them to develop the like delivery of tips because this is a great diagnostic like like you're like you're you've got one of those pressure sensor mats yeah 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 so amazing diagnostic but no good if you've got all this great info and you don't know what to do with it true it's like then how how do you then 
deliver some information, have some input to then get them back on this thing and see a change. So I'm, I'm working with this, this company to help develop that side of it, which is why I've become really interested in the metaphors and the coaching and, you know, internal versus external cues. Like what's the best way to, to coach people. So this summer I'll be, working on that and and be given a, a, a sort of a pilot group of skiers to run through like can we really like the goal is can we really change these people's skiing given like their starting metrics of edge angles and pressure under their foot and and all those sorts of things pressure smoothness and and then can we create a bit of a pathway and and, and a process that changes all that to to be improved and better without me actually being there so that's really that's exciting. really exciting yeah Very. big game changer like imagine you went out surfing with these like booties that had that and oh. would be able to tell you like the speed that you made that cut back at and the board edge angle and you know how many turns you made like in in an hour's surfing session and then you go and do something you know you buy a new board and you see like all these things changing, like, ah, that's why I like that board for these days and that board for that day. And right. It's so like technology now combining that is, is really interesting. So. Ah, fantastic. Well, we're, we're up against the clock. This hour has flown by faster than I was expecting. It was such a joy. Now, if people want to, look into your services, whether it be Zoom or if they happen to be in the Sydney, Melbourne, New South Wales area, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, so for the the practice where you come and see me in person in Sydney, uh, it would be looking up functionalbody.com.au. So you can find more info there and, and book sessions there. And then for skiing related stuff, it's bigpictureskiing.com. And, uh, you know, you can even get a free video like to see what a carving lesson from, from me is like. And, um, and then, then it's a, it's a subscribe, subscriber sort of membership based thing, but I've got like over 60 hours and counting. I've got all these videos I need to edit and add, and it's had some, uh, like that, that's the most enjoyable thing is like this morning on the bus into work was a, a message from someone just saying, you know, they they subscribe back in May thinking like they just try it for a month and consume all the content and then, and then cancel. And they're like, still, they have no intent to stop and their skiing has improved from, from all the online content. This is someone in the UK wow. who's like uh, in their late fifties. And so that just drives me to like, after we finish this call, I'm back on to creating more content for that site. So yeah, if people are interested, I'd, I'd love to, them to check that out. And, oh, and Tom, that's great. That. Well, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you spending some time with us in between your content building. And uh, I look forward to somewhere along the line, whether it's in an AIM workshop or on a ski slope, we'll have to carve some turns together. Now, I don't, don't think ill of me, but I'm a snowboarder. Uh, not oh, no, no, no. I, I used to be as well. I've, I've done okay. it all because, yeah, 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 totally. And I can ride it. I'm good. Skate, skis, yeah. stuff, whatever. All yeah, right. yeah. No, awesome. Thanks very much, Rocky, for having me. My pleasure. 
If you'd like to find out more information about the Flow Motion Model, Anatomy and Motion Courses, or Gary Ward himself, pick up a copy of his book, What the Foot, at findingcenter.co.uk. And while you're at it, pick up a copy of my book, Return to Center, where I take the Flow Motion Model and apply it to strength, training, and conditioning. You can get a copy of that at rockysnyder.com. Thanks for listening.